As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Well, the basketball tournament hasn't even started, Tom, and March Madness truly underway for the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, there's a, a common thread to each and every one of these pods that we're doing right now. We recorded one yesterday ahead of the Ottawa game, and it's incredible how much we have to chew on just 24 hours later. But again, it all starts with the guy between the pipes, Thatcher Demko, just playing out of his mind right now. Yeah, I mean, we're chewing on blue, right? Like, <laughs> basically, <laughs> talking about the Vancouver Canucks here. Hey, uh, Man of Steel. I, <laughs> I don't know about you, but, like, the jet, the, I almost get jet lag from the time change. You know, like, the, the spring forward really, really screws me up. Um, one piece of context, and, and, you know, I love the schedule context, and fans get mad at me when I use a Canucks win over a tired team as, um, you know, context here. And the Sens were playing the second leg of a back-to-back. Uh, that, you know, should be noted too. But traveling east is tough. Like, tra- traveling back east is tough on the body. That's a three-hour time change plus spring forward for the Canucks. Uh, day over day, and then playing a game that night. Uh, you know, I think they'll be better on Wednesday. I think they'll defeat the Senators again. And, uh, you know, it's one sort of not not mitigating factor, but one thing to still regard in context is the Canucks got massively outshot and outplayed in every phase of the game and were saved by the play of Thatcher Demko and Thatcher Demko's trusty sidekick, the posts and the crossbar in defeating the Ottawa Senators in overtime. Not Vancouver's most auspicious performance, but, um, you know, so it goes. I mean, you're going you're gonna to need to win some of those, especially if you are surging on a miracle run to the playoffs. But good God, J-Pat, like, we're not going to do that here, right? Like, we're not going to pretend that the Canucks are in a playoff race until they're meaningfully in a playoff race, right? Until they get to Montreal and sweep the Habs, uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. But, but- you look, even say say the Canucks, say the Canucks and the 
and the Montreal Canadiens go shot for shot on Wednesday, right? And then they sweep the Habs. They will be one point ahead of Montreal, who will still have four games in hand, J-Pat. I know. And five games remaining against Ottawa. Like, even if they sweep Montreal, I'm still looking at this thinking, this is not a playoff race. Well, I, I Am tried, I nuts? No, because I tried to point it out on Twitter last night, and people shit all over me for this. It's just the numbers, people. It's just the numbers. The Canucks are on their best run of the season. They're 5-1. and one. Thatcher Demko is just going off. They've picked up 10 of a possible 12 points, and in that stretch, Calgary's picked up 9, Montreal's picked up 8. Like, they've gained barely any ground whatsoever on those teams. I, I'm still not even sure which team they're chasing. It might be Edmonton all of a sudden, uh, but I know that you think higher of Edmonton than a lot of people do. It's still not sold on their goaltending, uh, but whatever the case, like the Canucks just have to keep their heads down and, as cliche as it sounds, like take care of the next one because two more wins, if they can win the next two, they get to 500. We've established that 500 will mean nothing. 500 puts them back in the starting block for a race that would have to see them go something like 15 and 7 over their final uh, 22 games. Now, look, there's until you're mathematically eliminated, there's always a path to the playoffs. Right? Like, I mean, the numbers are what the numbers are. And so it's still this monumental uphill climb. But we've said for a while now that if they were going to somehow claw their way back in and be relevant in this Canadian division, it was going to take an absolute bender. Like, they were going to have to do like they did last year in the middle of the year and go 14-3. and three. They're 5-1 and one right now. Like, that's a nice start. Then they have to do that again. And then they'd have to do it a third time, essentially, to get to 15-3. and three. So... Again, it's stacked against them. There's no doubt. They're not playing particularly well, but when you have a goalie that's as good as Thatcher Demko is right now, and quite frankly, Tom, like all this talk about bubble Demko, and I've made it clear I don't even like that term, but he has moved past that. Like He's doing this now for a stretch that is a lot longer than the three games that he played in the bubble in Edmonton last summer, and that was one opponent. Like This is, on a nightly basis now, basically running through this Canadian division, and he's just offering up the goods night after night after night, arguably getting better as he goes. I don't know if the opponents are necessarily, but, you know, 46 shots by the Ottawa Senators. The Sens set their season high for shots in a game against the Canucks back in that dismal January stint in, in Vancouver. And then they outdid themselves last night. So their two highest shot totals this season by the last place Sens have come against the Vancouver Canucks, which sort of tells you something about the way the Canucks are playing. Well, and something about the way the Canucks are built. Like, if you look at down roster talent, you know, I, I think I think you can pretty easily make the argument that the Sens might have better depth than the Canucks, and not might, like do do. I thought it was a hugely revealing quote: the "stabilize three of our lines" quote from Travis Green after the Senators win. Like, this is how the Canucks coach assesses his options, the decisions that he has to make in facing the worst team in the North after a win is like, I had to play Jace Howerluck more and switch up my lines because I need to, to find a way to stabilize three forward lines against the senators, man, like good God. And, uh, and so, you know, that's sort of where we are now, you know, I want to be clear that if you're a fan, you know, it's fine to be hopeful about the playoff race. Like you, you, we're not going to, we're not going to reflect that hope back to you because that's not what we do. I don't think you're here because of the sunny optimism that is characteristic of me <laughs> and Jay Pat. But um, but if you're a fan and you want to hope, like go ahead. I had a really thoughtful tweet from a from a VIP yesterday who was noting that you know for those Canucks fans who have family members, 
right? People close to them, fellow Canucks fans who are old or, you know, ill or ailing. Like they want to hope that this team might make the playoffs this year. Like that's what they enjoy, you know? And and he asked me if I'd consider uh, that in moderating my tone and maybe feeding some more hopeful content to a VIP like him. And I I just explained to him, like, I just can't, like, I don't see brighter days ahead. Like I'd love to be able to tell you that, you know, brighter days are on the horizon. And right now, anyway, um, I don't see a ton of cause for optimism aside from the fact that this remains a super vibrant hockey market, that when fans are able to be back in the buildings, they will be. And, that this core is exceptionally talented. And now Thatcher Demko's added to it, right? Like every bit is essential, albeit because of the nature of goaltending modestly more replaceable than Pedersen and Hughes and Besser and Horvat, right? Like Demko's now there. Um, those are tremendous reasons for optimism. And I see those and I recognize those while still looking at a team and thinking like hope is for fans. Hope cannot be for this management group, right? Like this management group has to look honestly at where they're at, at the nature of the wins over the past eight games. Um, You know, it's not acceptable to be like, I don't know why we were so dismal earlier in the year. And now that we're getting 960 goaltending, oh boy, cooking with oil. Of course, that's 960 goaltending is a hell of a drug. Um, But you have to look at where this team is at and think, man, ahead of the most complicated, challenging deadline in the history of this sport where monetizing a single guy, maybe two guys, might not even be possible, right? Like getting a fifth round pick for Jordy Ben might not even be possible in this hockey economy. Getting a third round pick for Tanner Pearson may not even be doable. But man, the next three and a half weeks, full bore from a management side, even as you want coaches and players to keep grinding, to keep trying to make the impossible happen. Everything has to be done to make marginal upgrades to the future picture of this team, to add whatever additional cap flexibility can be carved out, to add any additional prospect or draft capital. Like everything needs to be done diligently and with focus to set this club up for brighter days next season, the season beyond and the season beyond, because This is not a playoff race, period. So you referenced the owner's tweet from last night, and I I had to laugh. Like, how could you not laugh? First of all, an owner calling his team dismal, and and their performance was was that, but to have the owner, like, I've never heard another owner in sports, I don't think, even the Pagulas in Buffalo haven't come out and called the Sabres dismal, but he, he wasn't sure why they were dismal. And yet on February 13th, he had six tweets that laid it all out. It was the schedule. It was the new faces. It was the lack of a training camp. Like, he had answered his own question a month ago, and then his general manager all doubled down on that when he got to the podium, whatever that was, 10 days or two weeks ago. So, like, there was that sort of summed up where we are in all of this, that the owner is asking questions that he himself had answered a month earlier. Yeah, I mean, large cast quality analysis from team leadership isn't exactly what I'm looking for, right? It, it, I mean, if I'm looking for reasons for hope uh, among this team, but there you go. And yeah, I mean, look, <laughs> at least he didn't blame the media. <laughs> oh, man. Well, you can't say this season hasn't been interesting, J-Pat, even though the hockey hasn't necessarily been you know, to a level that we expected going in. But look, Tom, like this win stuff, the win stuff, these wins for the Canucks right now, 
they sure as hell beat the alternative. Like, nobody, fans or media, had an appetite to have another month in March, like February. So, you know, to their credit, they're finding ways. Even if it's on the back of one guy, they're staying in this thing. It's interesting. It's more interesting, I think, for us. It keeps the fans engaged. Again, I, you're not going to get me to change my mind until uh, I see that they are, you know, playing the kind of hockey over this prolonged stretch that has them back on pace for somewhere in the neighborhood of 63, 64, 65 points. And when I look at, like, even today, the updated standings, the Oilers lost to the Flames. Edmonton's still on pace for 65 points. Montreal on pace for 66 points. So again, the bar we've been talking about, 63 perhaps, it might actually be a little bit higher. Who knows? But all I know is the Canucks are two games under 500 right now, even with wins in five of their last six. They've got their work cut out for them. But I, I will say this, like, you know, the overtime last night, like I loved a couple of things. I, I loved Bo Horvat deciding to regroup to the neutral zone and yes. possession of the puck. Thomas Shabbat, like you mentioned the fact that Sens had played the night before. The guy plays a ton. He played 29 and change on Sunday. Played 31 minutes last night, including the first minute and 37 seconds of overtime. But honestly, like, how does a guy make that long change in that moment? Like, he got sucked into the puck in the neutral zone. But, you know, he goes off for the long change. All of a sudden, now there's only two Sens on the ice and Quinn Hughes with a quick up. And I love JT Miller just flying by Brady Kachuk. And look, we spent a lot of time on this pod uh, talking about JT Miller in his season, but the chips were down. He gets that kind of opportunity and he made the most of it. So, uh, you know, I, I like that sequence by the Canucks in overtime. And it doesn't matter if the Sens get a single point. The Sens are not in this conversation about teams that are clamoring, you know, towards the playoff bar. So it doesn't matter that you give up the late one, really. Um, because ultimately for the Canucks, it's about trying to find ways to get two points, and they did that last night. Yeah, and, uh, you know, that that is sort of the one thing you like to see, and, and granted, it's been enabled. Like, you get opportunities to look ruthless, professional, and polished when the chips are down, when your goaltending is this good, right? Like, that's, you know, they're, they're in a position to make a read in a play like that because of Demko, and that's crucial context, but... You know, whether it was closing out the game against Edmonton with just a flurry of shot blocks and solid defensive play, or the read that Quinn Hughes and Bo Horvat in particular made there to close out the game in overtime last night, like this team has made, you know, the types of big, polished, professional plays you're looking for, you know, to decide games, like in high leverage moments over the past couple of weeks. And, and that's worth noting for sure. I, I also think it's worth noting, like, the penalty kills given up four goals was excellent against Ottawa last night and has done so without most of the principal penalty killers in the lineup, right? Like Tyler Mott's not there. Jay Beagle's not there. Antoine Roussel, who's been good on the penalty kills, not there. Guys have stepped up, filled in, played really well. Uh, the PK has been excellent and the power play has been really good. Like one thing that's been interesting to see about the... Uh, Pedersen absence is that I do think that the Canucks are now generating like what I'd call a higher efficiency, like higher efficiency looks because they don't have Pedersen's, you know, atom bomb one timer, which hasn't been really firing the way we're used to uh, to this point in the season. Like, I think that's forced them to adjust. And, and I think it's been actually probably a good look for them. Now, granted, they're they're always going to be better with Pedersen. Like, I'm not suggesting that they're better without him. I'm just saying that in making the adjustments, I wonder if they've unlocked a couple things that may 
pay dividends once you add, you know, the club's most dangerous weapon uh, back into the mix. And and so credit to them, too. Like, the special teams have been good. Hughes Hamannick have been good. Demko has been good. Uh, Demko's been way better than good. Demko's been, <laughs> you know, unbelievable. Um, but, you know, there are there are some good things happening beneath the surface. But, man, just the, the quality of the five-on-five game overall remains something that, you know, I, I'm concerned about naturally. I'm more concerned about it now than I was like, I'm almost lower on this team now than I was in February. And, and granted, I do think some of the atrophy in the five on five game is, you know, you move up excellent play driving winger to center, lose your best play driving forward and have, you know, Mark Michaelis in the top nine um, and Louis Erickson back in the lineup and on and on. Like, it's hard to withstand the level of forward injuries that the Canucks have had without a dip in form. But this dip in form has been super dramatic. And, you know, it, it really, like, we talked last season some about the Canucks accomplishing what they were accomplishing on a knife's edge. Um, this is more on, like, <laughs> the eye of a needle, right? Like, this is this is a different thing entirely. And if Thatcher Demko isn't superhuman... You know, for a stretch here, like this could look really like if he's just good, right? This could look ugly in a hurry unless the Canucks can find ways to just control games better here. Uh, I'm glad you brought up the penalty kill because uh, did you look at the ice time last night for the Canucks? I, they took four penalties. They had to kill off four minor penalties. Edler and Myers killed six and a half minutes. Ben and yep. Schmidt had the other 90 seconds. Travis Hammond didn't have any penalty killing time. Now, remember at the start of the season... Like, it was a real struggle for a lot of reasons for Hamannick. And the penalty kill was an area that the Canucks were just getting steamrolled. And so, uh, you know, a lot of talk. And I've seen fights on Twitter again about Tyler Myers and his value. And and look, there's going to be struggles in the defensive zone. But, you know, in portions of the game, like the penalty kill, I mean, Edward Myers stepping up for six and a half minutes of penalty killing duty, uh, high leverage minutes, as you like to call them, you know, that's some value there. there. There's no doubt. Like, I mean, they got the job done. It helps when you have a goalie that's stopping everything that comes his way as well. But, you know, you're leaning on two guys uh, for a disproportionate amount of penalty killing duty. And they were up to the challenge last night. I, I had to laugh. I had a guy on Twitter midway through the game come at me and said that I had called out Tanner Pearson and Brandon Sutter on yesterday's pod. And, and look, we've had some fun sort of with Brandon Sutter and the lack of assist. Brandon Sutter got an assist. Uh, hey, uh, Tanner Pearson scored a goal his first in a month. I'm not sure I called them out on the podcast as much as I pointed out, you know, the, the struggles here. But this guy was wondering who I was going to call out next now that these two had come through. And I went right back at him and said, I'm going to continue to call those two out. Like, you know, Tanner Pearson scoring one goal a month, that ain't it, right? Like, you can't say, yeah. you can't say he bumped his slump if he goes another 10 without scoring. And it took, Colin White putting the puck on a tee 15 feet out in front of the goal for Tanner Pearson to finally score for the first time in a month. So good for Pearson. Uh, you know, I'm sure there was some relief there. Uh, what an absolutely god-awful pass, though, by Colin White. Uh, whatever the case, you know, the pressure has to stay on these guys. Like, you can't say, oh, well, they've done their job now. I'm going to look for other guys. Like, no, Tanner Pearson, you got to hope that this is a guy that can get hot and, and has been streaky and maybe has been a little, un, a little unlucky here, but 
no, the pressure stays on whether he's sticking around and playing for the Canucks or whether he's a, t- a trade chip. Like, you want Tanner Pearson to heat up. And Brandon Sutter, go figure. Like, we've analyzed this thing to death. Six goals, two assists on the season. All of the goals at home, Tom, the two assists now on the road. What a split for Brandon Sutter. <laughs> well, and, and you know, that was uh, Jace Howerluck's first goal as a Canuck. Yep. Um, and, you know, what? A grimy play, but a good one. Um, yeah, I mean, the the Tanner Pearson, that Colin White pass, that was incredible. Um, <laughs> and I like the, like, widespread spec, like, did Pearson call for it? Um, looks like he did not, but, um, you know, interesting. I mean, the Canucks played, they just didn't play well, right? Like, they just didn't play well. They know they didn't play well. Uh, I do think, I do think context of the travel day plus the lost hour uh, needs to be noted. They're on the ice for practice today. I bet they don't morning skate tomorrow. I, I, they'll be better. They'll be better on Wednesday. Um, I think they should beat the Senators team. Like they, they should. They just should beat the Senators team. They have more quality overall. Even if I think the Senators at this point have way better forward depth. Um, but man, man, this team. It's so, what a weird, what a weird game. Like, what a weird game that was overall. And and noting, too, that they did, in fact, cough up the regulation win, something that doesn't matter too much against Ottawa, but will matter, especially when they get into that back-to-back set against Montreal later this week. Like, they need to win those games. They need to win those games in regulation, Jake. Yeah, without a doubt. Again, the sense, the single point, you're right, though. If they're going to truly claw their way past a team like Montreal, and we know the problems that they've had with the Montreal Canadiens, haven't beaten them in regulation, haven't even beaten them in overtime. The two wins have come in shootouts against the Montreal Canadiens this year, so they have had zero success with the Habs. I, I want to point out as well, like, I mean, if you're the Canucks, hey, y- you got to love the fact that you're going into these games right now with the better goaltending. But keep in mind, too, like, the struggles without Elias Pettersson are real. I know they're getting results here, but... They play. They they faced Michael Hutchinson, third stringer of the Leafs, yep. right? And the Leafs had played back to back that night when the Canucks beat them. They saw Miko Koskinen on Saturday, who is clearly now the number two in Edmonton. And the Oilers had played the night before. And then they saw Joey Decord, who I guess is the third stringer, uh, and he had played back to back. So you know they're getting some bounces in terms of the guys that they're facing at the other end. And they only need a couple of goals every night. Like, they've scored seven goals in their last four games. Like, there's no way they should have won three of those four. They've scored seven goals total, including overtime last night. And they've found a way to win three of four. And that's all on the on the backs of, of Thatcher Demko. When you look, though, Tom, and I think this is the point you're making. And, and, you know, you go deeper in the numbers than a lot of people. So I don't know if people recognize this. But in this 15-game stretch, like, there are three games over 500 in their last 15 now. Right? Nothing wrong with that. Eight, five, and two in their last 15. But if my numbers are right here, they've held their own at evens in those 15 games. They've scored 22 and given up 22. They've been outchanced by 70 and outshot by 40 in those 15, these last 15 games. <laughs> yeah. They've been outshot by 67 at five on five. It's dating back to March 1, JPAT. Over eight games, 67. It's crazy. Like it's it honestly it's tough to it's tough to imagine. And and that number that I pulled out on Twitter about Thatcher Demko, right? 12 and a half expected goals saved effectively over the course of the month of March to this point. Second is Carey Price, who by the way is, seems to have stabilized his game of late. And 
Um, and he's at half that number. Like, <laughs> the amount that Demko has performed, like, how well Demko has performed means that he could just be average. Average. In all other starts this season. And he'd be on the cusp of, a like, Vesna contention. Like, that's how much value he's provided to a team that's just surrendering way too much right now. Um, just over the past seven starts, eight games for this team. It's crazy, man. Honestly, and and I'd add too, like these games look like they look fortunate, right? Like this is not one where you need to understand like how expected goals interact with PDO and like this is going to regress. Like if you're just watching this Canucks team play and you are a hockey fan, like you know that this is not like what durable, sustainable winning hockey looks like, right? Like clearly. And, and I mean, that's gotta be, that's gotta be something that this team considers and takes stock of, especially ahead of a deadline that looks like it's going to be super, super complicated and difficult, very difficult to move any players at all. Yeah. And, and I thought you brought up a really good point when we had uh, Rick on the podcast and that is like for all this talk of, they gotta be sellers. They also need bodies to play. And if in fact they do move out, players ahead of the deadline uh, with quarantine and taxi squads and those types of things like that is an absolute uh, massive wrinkle that all general managers have to work around is just having enough National Hockey League bodies at your disposal so you know with Jay Beagle out all of a sudden Brandon Sutter's value goes up to the hockey club right now in the short term doesn't it because Travis Green needs somebody to fill that role as a primary penalty killing forward and and we talked about the penalty killing earlier, and it's been pretty good. And so I just wonder if that complicates matters that much more. We don't know about Beagle, uh, but it certainly doesn't sound like he's going to be back the rest of this week. Uh, Roussel might because he's out on the road trip, but Pedersen's not on the trip either. So, uh, you know, now we're looking at uh, probably nine games, maybe more, uh, for Elias Pedersen. And, you know, again, at some point you think that that is going to catch up to this hockey club. I, I just want to double back for a sec because you mentioned Vesna. And I've seen a lot of people. And it's understandable. I mean, Thatcher Demko is performing at a Vesna caliber right now. The Vesna is voted on by general managers around the National Hockey League. Is it your sense that the Vesna, like a number of league awards, a guy has to sort of work his way onto the radar before he's under real consideration? Or did Thatcher Demko do that in the bubble last year, as short a sample as that was, and and the other part to this is, if GMs are tasked with voting for the Vesna, do we really think mm -hmm. with all that they've got going on that there are NHL GMs that are digging deep on the numbers? Are they just looking at wins and goals against average? Or do you think that really goalie coaches around the NHL are the ones that end up voting on the Vesna, doing the dirty work for their GMs? Yeah, yeah, it's goalie coaches. <laughs> goalie coaches by placing a proxy vote through the GMs, for sure. 100 percent um i think i i do think that and i also think the gms if they were smart should just vote for the guys who are on entry-level deals um <laughs> just to mess with mess with everyone else's cap situation right like especially if a guy has schedule b's or something right um if you can if you can put that guy at the top of your ballot uh that gives him a big bump and you can mess with a rival's cap space like why wouldn't you do that i would do that in a heartbeat every time i would just vote constantly Malicious for the guy I like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I would I would strategically vote for all the entry-level guys, starting, like, prioritizing the ones in my division, 
And I would be I would be aiming to make sure every single ELC goalie in the NHL maxes their bonuses um, because it's like one way I can materially throw a bomb at my rival's cap picture, um, you know, without having to do anything, like without I, having to really I lift like a it. finger. No, I, like I just it. submit a. Yeah. So, you know, that that's how I would approach it. But. Anyway, I'm I'm clearly just an absolute jackal here. So, uh, no, and and the Vesna, I do think like I think it's going to be Vasilevsky unless he really hits a, hits a thud or a skid the rest of the way. I think it's Vasilevsky's to lose at this point. I think, um, and I do think it's partly reputation, but I would I won't be shocked at all. And honestly, if the Canucks get even like if the Canucks at any point play a high leverage game, like a game with a fifteen percent playoff swing, at any point, right? Because right now they're playing games where if they win, their playoff odds go up like 2%, right? Or or 2% down. You know, if they beat Ottawa on Wednesday, they'll be at 12. If they lose, they'll be at 8. That's not a, that's a 4% swing, right? Like this is marginal stuff. And that reflects the situation they found themselves in, right? But if they ever at any point even play a game with like a 20 or 30 point, uh, 30 percentage point swing in terms of their playoff probability, like a high leverage game, that that'll mean that'll mean that they've won just like a mess of games, and and if they're going to win a mess of games, especially with how they're running right now, that's going to be because Thatcher Demko is just stealing like an absolute like larceny at left, right, and center. Um, the way that he has you know conducted himself over the past you know two weeks. So if they at any point get to that, I, I bet Demko will get some serious Vesna consideration from the NHL's general general managers slash goalie coaches. Uh, is- Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Now, didn't you and I have a, I think we had a discussion somewhere not that long ago and a little bit of a debate about whether the Canucks would spend a night the rest of the way above the playoff bar. Right. And did I say no? You said no. I said no. And I wasn't convinced. Now, they still have work to do. They have work to do. And we know that they've got this week-long break coming up. So if it's going to happen, it probably (laughs) has to happen here (laughs) <laughs> in these next three games, right? Like I like, I like, I like that between us in terms of standings projections, I'm like the golden mean. You know what I mean? I'm like the Canucks are sixth. They are sixth. I know. They're going to be sixth. Um, you know, they're not gonna the Sens aren't gonna pass them and they're not gonna pass anybody. Like I've been sort of locked into that for a while. And you're like, oh, the Sens could pass them. And now you're telling me the Canucks could get above the playoff bar in the standings for a moment or two. I I you know, I don't see it. Based on points, points accumulated, not points percentage, we know that that's the struggle. But they're three back of Montreal. Like, if they continue to run the table on this road trip, they will be ahead of the Montreal Canadiens by the time they leave Montreal. They'll have six more points 
and four of them will come against the Habs. So I, I, I'm saying it is conceivable that they could spend a night this weekend above the playoff. I, I'm not telling you that it's going to happen because I know that the Canucks have had no success against the Montreal Canadiens. So they just, they don't play well. The Habs' depth seems to take over. We talked about Carey Price. And it's back-to-back and at the tail end of a road trip. And at some point, Braden Holpe is going to play. Like, it can't be Thatcher Nemco forever. And we outlined that, that it's not just the four games on the trip, that it's the, the Monday game back home against Winnipeg as well. Uh, so at some point here, Holpe plays, but you're coming back with Demko tomorrow night. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Originally, I'd thought maybe you could squeeze a start for Holpe in here and break up the road trip 2-2, but the way that Demko is going right now, uh, no choice. I mean, that, that's the no-brainer right now, and I would guess that Holpe, you know, in a perfect world, I guess I would see Demko play and play well again on Wednesday, and then with a short flight to Montreal, I'd play him Friday, Take your chances against the Habs on Friday. I don't think he's going to play the back-to-backs. I know we kind of kicked that around a little bit. I just, again, for his own good, if he plays the back-to-backs, if he plays all four games on this trip, that would get him to nine straight starts. And at some point, at some point, it will catch up to him. And if it catches up to him, it's catching up to the hockey club. You have to trust Holtby to be able to beat Ottawa. That's my view. I think think you got to, like, look, if you're... If you're serious about making the playoffs, Holtby starts Wednesday, and you at least preserve the option to go Demko back to back. That's my that's my opinion, and, you know. And it's very much just along the lines of like, uh, I mean, I think that the Canucks should be selling, and I think they should be aggressively selling. I think that should be their sole focus. But I also think that they should be, in terms of the team level tactical things doing everything they can to change the GM's mind, right? Like that's, that's sort of the dynamic that I want to see. I want to see the GM working with the long view in mind, recognizing that the season is probably lost. I want to see the team functioning as if the playoffs are still a possibility and like the miracle, you know, like you need that in the locker room. You want to see guys compete, especially through this like isolating weird hockey season. Um, You know, uh, for me, for me, you have to trust that Holtby can beat Ottawa on Wednesday. You have to. You have like what are we what are we even talking about if he's only getting back to backs here? He needs to be able to play against Ottawa, in my view. And you know, honestly, it's probably good for the team too that he gets a shot and gets a shot to bounce back and gets a shot to bounce back before he's got Tyler Toffoli on a third line role, you know, <laughs> cruising down the wing at him, right? Um, I think the I, I for me, for me, you go Holpy Wednesday. Uh, and then and then Demko Friday and then see about Saturday based on where you're at and and how Wednesday and Friday go. But if you win Wednesday, if you put Holpe in Wednesday and you win, if you put Demko in Friday and you win, then you've got a bullet in your chamber, no travel. You know, maybe you go with him back to back, which is also I mean, look, it's a good test for him, too. He hasn't done it at the NHL level. Like, that's a good test for a guy who's slowly growing into a number one. We've seen from how. Green and Clark used Markstrom last season that they're generally not hesitant to go with a back-to-back start for their number one goaltender. Demko's clearly that at this point. Well, we'll find out as the Canucks face the Sens on Wednesday night. We'll be back with another edition of the VanCast on Thursday, wrapping up the two games against Ottawa and previewing the back-to-backs as the Canucks head into Montreal for their games of the season. Can you stand it? Can you feel it? No, no, I can't stand it. I can feel it. I can't stand it, bud. Just, Tom, <laughs> Tom, just enjoy the games. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I do. I do enjoy the games. I, I, I really do.
I've, I've, I, I, I've, at the end of the day, at least we got hockey. Like at, at the very least, hockey is being played, and I'm enjoying that uh, thoroughly. Thoroughly. I just also am watching what I'm seeing, and I, I just think the path forward for this team is very clear. Like I'm not watching the Canucks, and at any moment thinking this team is good enough to pull something miraculous off. Like at no point have I thought this could happen. Um, this everything about this profile, everything about the way this team is winning games screams like need to sell to me. And you know, that that's sort of unfortunate because it, it, it hangs over, it hangs over, um, you know, even some of the best performances that we've seen this season, which have happened over the past couple of weeks, um, you know, with Thatcher Demko being the standout on that list of, of players. We're focused on the Canucks and the National Hockey League, but of course, Mark Madness is here and starting today. The Athletics College Basketball Crew brings you The Ding You, presented by BetMGM. We'll cover all the action both on the court and at the sportsbook, grabbing insight from the Athletics College basketball writers and picking the brain of BetMGM's top bookmakers. The first episode of The Ding You can be found on the Daily Ding feed and streaming on YouTube as we preview the tournament here at The Athletic. And of course, if you're looking for other hockey pod options, uh, a number of those here at The Athletic as well. Uh, we should mention that former Minnesota Wild defenseman Nick Schultz joined Mike Russo this week on Straight from the Source as uh, the Wild continue to celebrate their 20th anniversary season. So you can check that out at The Athletic. Again, Tom and I will be back after the second Ottawa game ahead of the weekend set in Montreal. So we'll have another pod for you, our third of this week, coming up on Thursday. In the meantime, check out our comments section for each podcast episode at the Athletic app. Rate and subscribe to the VanCast on Apple. If you aren't already a subscriber, go to theathletic.com slash VanCast and receive a subscription for just $3.99 a month. Uh, again, just to uh, alert the VIPs, Tom, you've got a new column up uh, today in the wake of the win over Ottawa uh, with a little more advice for the general manager. Well, just just noting all the all the situ the situation the Canucks find themselves in, and noting that they have to still be sellers here, and and how hard it's going to be to be a seller, right? Like it's not going to be simple or straightforward to monetize any of Vancouver's existing veteran assets, which is why all the focus needs to be there until April 12th. Like everything, fire all weapons in terms of getting some deals done, because you can't be fooled by what Thatcher Demko has done. This team's just not good enough. Well, another night, another game on Wednesday, and perhaps another tweet from the owner. You just never know these days. But you do know that there'll be a third <laughs> episode of the VanCast for you coming up on Thursday. For Drancers, J-Pat, as always, thanks so much for your support. Uh, we love doing the VanCast. We love the reception that it's getting as well, all the feedback, too. So keep that coming. This is the VanCast at The Athletic and TheAthletic.com. <laughs>